You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Uh, glad you're here, my family. How are we doing this morning? That is how we're doing. All right, much better. Uh, great worship today. I just, all morning, like the spirit has just been present in this room with us. It's been awesome. And I love our worship team. I do. They are great and their hearts are to serve the Lord. That being said, if you walk out of here and say great sermon and great worship today, like we maybe missed it a little bit. Like our heart is to help you see how great our God is. And that's, that's our desire. Um, and hopefully you got ushered into the throne room of God this morning. Cause I sure did. Um, that was great. That was good stuff. Um, we're going to do something this morning to start the sermon. Um, if you're in our, one of our care groups, you know that we use a teaching method called storying. Storying is um, a teaching method that was built out of cultures that don't have a written language. It's, it's how they orally transfer information. And um, what we know after lots and lots and lots of research is that 80% of the world is Oral, they're oral learners. Um, what that means is they don't learn from literate means. They don't learn by reading. Um, now, what we might think is, well, that's a first world problem versus a third world problem. No, actually, 80% of Africa are oral learners. 80% of the United States is oral learners. Like, 80% of the world are oral learners. And so what we want to do is try to capture people with a way that we can cast the broadest net. Now, doesn't mean we don't need the 20% of literate learners because they keep us honest, right? They're the ones that are like, no, it's that, that. Like, they're the ones that do that, the ones that we all hate. Um, <laughs> but whatever, I mean, we don't hate you, um, but I'm not sure God even loves you. So I, I'm joking, I'm joking joking. Relax. I'm joking. Um, so uh, that being said, um, what we're going to do today is we want to model for you what storying looks like. And the reason that we're going to do that is because the passage that we're going to work from today is actually the passage that we're using in our small groups this week. So if you're here and you're a care group leader, Pay attention. Thad's going to come up and model for us what storying looks like, and then we'll tie into the rest of the sermon. Cool. Thanks. So this is a really cool story. Um, if I don't trip. So when we story, a lot of times what we'll do is we do this in the care group curriculum too, but we give you information to kind of help set up the story so that it's not like a, just a bam, you're in the middle of the Old Testament day 700 and whatever, right? So this story took place in a time when God's people were ruled by kings. And the king at the time was Jehoram. And uh, what was going on is the nation to the north, uh, Syria in some translations, if you read like ESV, sometimes it'll say Syria. Other translations say Aram. That's the same place so that you don't get hung up like, what are we talking about? And they would actually send raiding parties and attack Israel and pillage and take stuff. And that's kind of what's going on in this story. But God's up to something more than just telling us about some country attacking Israel. So tune in and like listen for what else God is up to when you hear this story. Okay, so it goes like this. The king of Aram was uh, a guy who uh, had a military leader named Naaman, and Naaman was a really amazing warrior, and the, and the king held him in really high regard, high esteem. He thought very highly of him, and 
the, the king had actually won a lot of victories because the Lord had led Naaman to win all of these great victories in the name of the king. Now, even though that Naaman was this great warrior, he had leprosy and he suffered from leprosy. And so it was about this time that the Arameans went to Israel with a raiding party and they uh, robbed and pillaged and, and took slaves. And one of the captives they took was a young girl. And this young girl they brought back and gave her to Naaman's wife as a slave or like a, a house servant or a maid. Well, one day this young girl comes to her mistress and she says, boy, I wish, like if only my master could go to Samaria and see the prophet of God, he, he would be healed of his leprosy. Well, Naaman hears about this and he goes straight to the king and he tells the king what this young girl had said. And the king says, absolutely, let's get you to Israel. And, and not only will we send you, but we'll send you with like documents to prove that you are coming from the king to the king. And so Naaman prepares to go and he takes with him uh, a lot of stuff as a gift to exchange, like in hope, in hope of his healing. And so he takes with him like 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing to use as, a, as gifts. And he takes this letter from the king. So he gets to the king of Israel and he presents the letter and the king of Israel opens the letter and it says, I present to you uh, my servant Naaman, heal his leprosy. Well, the king of Israel is like distraught, like you've got to be kidding me, like what? And he tears his clothes and he's frustrated. He's like, what is he trying to do? Like, who does he think I am? I can't give life and take it away. I can't heal leprosy. And he, he's like, he must be some, there must be some ulterior motives. Like, why would he be doing this? He must be trying to provoke me to a fight. And so he's ready to send him off. And about the same time, Elisha, the prophet of God, heard that the king had torn his robes and was upset about something. And he sends a messenger to the king. And the messenger goes and the messenger says, Elisha told me to tell you to send Naaman to see him so that he would know that there is a true prophet of God in Israel. So he does. He sends Naaman to him. Well, when Naaman rolls out to Elijah's house, he's kind of got his entourage with him. He's got chariots and horses and officers and servants, and, and they roll up in front of Elijah's house and, uh, to meet this famous prophet of God, and Elijah doesn't even come out. He sends a servant to go out to tell Naaman something. So the servant comes out and he says, yeah, uh, Elisha told me to tell you, go to the Jordan River, wash in it seven times, and you're going to be healed of your leprosy. Back to the house. Naaman did not take that so well. He was upset. He was like, you have got to be kidding me. What do you mean? Like, that's it? He didn't even come out to see me? He didn't even come out and like wave his arms and say something amazing in the name, like some amazing words in the name of his Lord, his God. Like there was nothing. That was it. And, and like the Jordan River, the Jordan River, that muddy little creek, you want me to dip in that? Like back home, we have the rivers, the, the Abnar and the Parfar, and they're far more clean than that. Like, why wouldn't I just go home and get clean? And he is ready to just storm off in a hissy. And one of his servants comes to him and, and is pleading with him and says, now, wait a minute. Think about it. Like, what if he would have told you something really complicated, really difficult to do? Wouldn't you have tried to do it to get rid of your leprosy? So how much more should you try this? Because this is really simple. And so he's persuaded. 
And he goes to the Jordan River and he dips himself in the Jordan River seven times and he's healed of his leprosy. And not just healed, but his skin is healthy and vibrant and full of color like that of a young child. Well, he gathers his troops together and the gang that was with him, and he's like, we have got to go see Elijah. Like, I, I have to go see him face to face. And they track him down, and for the first time, he lays eyes on Elijah, and he says to Elijah, I, I have to tell you this, now I know for sure there is no other God in the whole world except the one true God in Israel. And then he goes on to start talking with Elijah about like, well, you know, you've got to take these gifts that I brought. And Elijah's like, no, I'm not taking anything for it. And they, they have a little back and forth about that. And there's a lot more that goes on with the rest of this story. There's some really neat things that happen that, that we can think about, like, what does it look like to be a Christian and to know the one true God and have to go back into a world that worships other things besides the one true God, like Naaman wrestled with that. There's a lot of cool stuff. But for our purposes today, we're camping out in that chunk of scripture. So enjoy and let that kind of sink in as Aaron walks through the rest of the sermon with us. So <clears throat> here's where we're going to kind of camp on, uh, on Elisha and Naaman today. Naaman got a promise of God to be blessed by being healed of a life-taking disease. But he had to do something that he didn't want to do in order to get access to that blessing. He had to decide to trust God to do what God says, even though he didn't want to. And so as we kind of land the plane now on our uh, ABC's Financial Freedom Series, this is really where we're going to kind of land. We've talked about attitude, we've talked about bondage, we've talked about choice, and today we're going to talk about decision, the D of the ABC apostrophe S. Uh, I don't know, because we need it four weeks, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so here's the thing that I want to I begin this conversation with. What's interesting to me is as a church, we've tried really hard to not get caught up in making lines in the sand that the Bible doesn't clearly make. And so we've tried to allow people to have freedom in places where they can have freedom, different doctrinal issues, different issues of theology. Like if there's room on both sides of the conversation for people to be right, then we ought to have space in our church family for, those, for both sides of the conversation. So we've tried really hard for that. What's interesting to me is we only draw lines that we clearly see God drawing lines in the scripture, and those seem to be the ones that people want to fight most about. They're like, well, I, but I don't like, like we love having options and freedom and choices. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God said, what? No, he didn't. No, no, he did. What we have to do is decide, do we want access to the promised blessings that God will give us? If we do, we must go through the things that we don't want to do in order to gain access to those blessings. Does that make sense? So what I want to do today is give us six lessons that we can learn about making decisions. And this is true for really any decision in your life, whether that's to get in shape and eat right and exercise and do that, or uh, it's a decision to steward your finances differently or a decision to do something else, build a house, anything. These are six lessons that will apply to your decision, to your, uh, that will help you make the decision in a way that honors the Lord. 
right? I've been reading a great book recently um, called The Motivation Myth. Um, I highly recommend it. Not a Christian book, so you got to be prepared for some language. Um, it's rated PG, the book, um, but it's really a powerful uh, book. In the book, he, he quotes somebody, and I don't remember who he attributed to the quote, but it was really good. I tweeted it even. Um, I did. I made a tweet. Um, it goes like this. You will carry two weights in your life, discipline and regret. Discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. That's truth. I had a, a good friend of mine that I ran into in the store accidentally, um, Tuesday night, I believe, and he has had a rough week, uh, just a lot. Of, he had to make a really hard decision that was really for him, struck at kind of the core of who he was, and he had to stand up for what he believed was right, and it cost him a lot, and he, he did it anyway, and like, it was, a, it was a traumatic enough decision that he was weepy about it in the store. Like, when you get a guy that's willing to cry in public, you know it's a big deal. Um, and so we were talking about it and just kind of how he was processing it and how he was doing. And, and I, uh, this is, again, not a believer. Um, and I say that because his wisdom is inceptionally profound. I just put my hand on his shoulder and said, you know what, I'm really proud of you for making the right decision, even though it was hard. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, nobody at the end of their life says, I wish I wouldn't have made that right decision that was really hard. But a lot of people will say at the end of their life, I wish I would have made that decision because it would have made things a lot different. Like nobody regrets making the right decision, right? Why? Because discipline weighs ounces, but regret weighs tons. And that, I was like, wow, like that's super insightful for somebody who's, you know, he's a hedonist. I, I like, if you guys don't know what hedonism is, you can Google that word. Um, but it was really insightful. I was, I was moved by what he said, and, and I think that's true. We've got to learn to make decisions not because they're easy, but because they honor the Lord. When we do, we will gain a whole new access to the nature of God, to understanding about God, to the blessings of God. And so I want to give you these six lessons. Uh, there's scriptures that go along with them, but in the interest of time, we're not going to spend a ton of time reading the scriptures. They're there. Um, you can use them as you talk about this in your care groups this week. Lesson number one, no one is immune from problems. Um, and here's why this matters. Because what we often do is say, this person that's successful at what I want to be successful at, whatever it is, we often think, well, their life must be easy. That's why they were successful at it. Well, no, the truth is, no one is immune from problems. Everybody's going to face obstacles. Every single person is going to do that. I, and I always use this example, like Michael Jordan. I watched Michael Jordan play basketball because he was playing when I was in high school. I watched him dump 63 points in one night. It was amazing. It was amazing. Do you believe that Michael Jordan was able to dump 63 points in a night because they weren't playing defense on him? Like they had three guys on him and he still wouldn't pass the ball. Like that means two people are open, wide open. We're playing, we're playing two and 
three men on him. Like, that's, but he's, because, here's why. Because people who succeed find a way to succeed. They don't get overwhelmed by their obstacles. They find a way to work through them. No one is immune from problems. You, if you want to steward your finances in a way that honors the Lord, you will face problems. You will face problems in doing that. You will have the hardships. Things will happen. I told you guys uh, a couple weeks ago, like in one pay period, my wife and I had $1,350 in unbudgeted expenses give us an opportunity to take our money away. Like, you know, we had car repairs and um, one car broke down. We had another one that um, we slid off the freeway on the way home from Christmas at 55 miles an hour and hit a fence. And that was an $85 citation. That's not in my budget. Um, And then I got to get towed out of the snow, which is not in my budget. And then I got to pay a whole bunch of money to get it realigned and get the undercarriage put back together, which was also not in my budget. Like you've got to plan for those kinds of things because no one's immune from it. Life happens. You will face problems. And if you don't have some sort of a plan for that, it will get the best of you. And all of a sudden then we wind up giving up on doing the things that we know are right. No one's immune from problems. That's the first thing you have to understand about making decisions. You're going to face obstacles. Whatever decision you make, you're going to face obstacles. Lesson number two. God will use the most unlikely of sources to give us what we need. And that is true. When you honor the Lord with your stuff, you will find the craziest things happening to you. I'll I'll tell you, this is my own testimony. This is true. My wife and I lived, when we first got married, for the first two years of our marriage, we lived on $683 a month. Like, I was making $475 an hour working full-time. And I, and I worked um, two jobs, plus went to school full-time. Like we, I, we had 95 hours a week, work weeks. That's what it took for us to do. Like, we didn't, we didn't, our bill, I mean, I got to say this for a second. Like, when people are like, I can't take that job, it's only seven twenty-five an hour. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, come on now. That's good money. I, you, we thought we were in Fat City. It's four seventy-five an hour. Uh, here's uh, our bills every month were seven hundred and fifteen dollars a month. We lived on six hundred and eighty-three dollars a month, and the first check we cut every month was to the Lord. That was back when we still wrote checks. Here's what I can tell you. In that two years, we did not go into debt. That's God math. You're like, that, that doesn't work. I know. I know it doesn't work. Except that God's blessing was in our finances. And so there would be the weirdest things that would happen. We would come home and there'd be bags of groceries on our doorstep. We didn't know where it came from. It just was there. Um, we had, you know, we had it was weird how everything played out. Like, this is how God works in your life when you're faithful to him first. It's how it works. We had, uh, we were doing this in a time, there was a period of time in the early and mid-90s when phone companies would give you 50 bucks for switching. Right? Remember that? That was like going to work for me. <laughs> like, I was every other day. I was like, Sprint, AT&T, Sprint, AT&T, Sprint. We never knew who was. We were like, I don't even know. They're like, they knew me by my first name. Uh, switching again, are you, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, give me my 50 bucks. 
I mean, there's ways that God, there's ways that you can, that it works. It works. It works when you can honor the Lord with your finances. But here's the deal. It's probably going to come from some unlikely sources, right? It's going to come from some unlikely sources. You're going to have to trust your community sometimes. Sometimes your community, your church family is going to rally around you and do things for you. Sometimes it's going to be, I don't have money for this surprise thing and somebody's going to show up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my life there's been random money in my mailbox or on our doorstep because of somebody just felt the Lord leading them to do it. Now, I, I love that, number one, I love that the Lord works on my behalf, but number two, I love that the Lord sees me right where I'm at, and when I choose to do the things that he asked me to do the way he asked me to do them, he takes care of everything. And he provides it in the weirdest way, in the weirdest ways. Lesson number three, the answers to our problems are often not what we want to hear. And that is a hard thing about making decisions right? Like if you want to, if you're, if you're, I'm, I'm deciding I want $2 million in the bank, right? If you're, that, this is my decision. I want $2 million in the bank. Okay. If that's your call, that's your call. Um, think about this though. If you make $50,000 a year, which is not a bad salary, if you make $50,000 a year, it will take you 40 years if you don't spend a dime of it. So, the decision might be that you have to leave a place you love, or like if this is your decision, I'm gonna have this kind of, like you're gonna have to do some things to make it actually happen, right? If you wanna lose weight, get in shape. I love, I think every one of us in the room knows way more about diet and exercise than we need to, right? We all know what we need to do. There's this really weird biblical concept called eat less, exercise more. It's a... <laughs> It happens, right? But here's the problem. I don't like that it makes me give up ice cream, right? I don't like that. I want, and so, like, so my decision, it, the, the way to get there is, may not be the way that I want to hear. Like, there's no way, if our finances are structured in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, there is no way for you then to reroute your finances in a way to honor him without it costing you something. You're going to have to give up something because you've been building your life with God's stuff. And it may be that you have to give up, I don't know, cable. You may have to give up internet. You may have to give up your cell phone. You may have to do that. I don't know. You, not necessarily. None of those things are evil. Uh, debt in and of itself is not evil. But if you're choosing to pay debt over honoring the Lord, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you're choosing to have a lifestyle, a certain kind of house, or a certain amount of um, ex extras, like, I, I mean, I have, I have DirecTV. I have like 350 channels of awesome and it, it's awesome. I love it. I do. But I don't choose that over honoring the Lord. Like the biggest part of my wife and I's budget every month is our generosity. That's the biggest piece over our mortgage payment. It's bigger than our mortgage payment. And I think for those of us that are thinking about like, what does this look like to actually tithe? Um, if, you, if you've got a standard mortgage payment, like you might think, about making that your goal is to make your giving to the, to the Lord bigger than your mortgage payment. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. What I'm saying is you may have to give them up in order to honor the Lord. 
Now, he may give those back to you over time. He might, he might not. I don't know. But discipline weighs ounces and regret weighs tons. Right? You're never going to regret choosing to give those things up in order to honor the Lord. Like, man, I missed Gold Rush. Maybe, maybe that is a big one. I, no, like, I missed whatever your show is. I missed Married at First Sight. I missed, you know, The Blacklist. Whatever your show is, um, those are just my shows. <laughs> maybe I'm sharing too much. I don't know. Uh, but the answers to your problems are often not what we want to hear. They're not what we want to hear. The things that we're going to have to give up. You may not want to. Right? You may not want to. Doesn't matter. There's the pain of where you are and the pain of change. You're going to get to pick which pain you choose to live with, but at least have pain that means something. Okay? Next one. Next lesson. Number four. We'll be tempted to come up with our own plan, right? Like the ice cream diet. I got a diet plan ice cream. <laughs> it were, it's, it's awesome. It doesn't actually help you lose weight, but it's awesome, right? By the way, here's a little side note for you. Um, this hit me in first service, so it's obviously the Spirit of God. Um, <laughs> do you know um, gluttony, one of the seven deadly sins, what we often say is that gluttony is overeating, right? It's eating too much. That's not what gluttony is. Gluttony is any time that you put food in your mouth, simply because of the taste. Ice cream. Um, like there's no, there's no redeeming nutritional quality to ice cream or Velveeta. But like, <laughs> like most of the American diet, like there's not a lot of nutritional redeeming. Like this is, but that's gluttony. It's gluttony in the, in the definition of seven deadly sins. This is one of the things that will kill you is eating food just because it tastes good. It is, like we don't, we don't want to hear that. We want to be able to come up with our own plan to work around it. And that's a struggle for me because here's what I've learned about myself. I eat my way through stress. Um, I have eaten my way through the last eight months. I, um, I love eating, and it, like, but God has a different plan for how I should handle stress. For God, it's about me laying my stresses at his feet and worshiping my way through it. If you look at the Bible, like the biblical precedent, and we're going to do a little two-week mini-series here uh, after this on worship, and, and specifically what we're going to be talking about is Sunday morning corporate worship, um, and I'm really excited about it. But one of the things that's hit me as I'm studying for this is you read Job, where Job loses everything. He loses 10 children and he loses all of his wealth. He puts on sackcloth and worships the Lord. Like, you want to know how to get through difficult times? You worship your way through them. David, when he has his affair with Bathsheba, God says that the baby's going to die. And when the baby's born, it does, it dies. And David had been fasting and praying that the Lord wouldn't take the life of the child. And the baby dies. And David after all of that, cleans himself up, puts on fresh clothes, goes into the house of God and worships. You want to know how to get through difficult times? Stress? You worship your way through it. That's God's plan. My plan is I eat my way through it. 
For some people, they spin their way through it. For some people, they hide their way through it. They'll go and just sit in their bedroom and fall asleep and be depressed. And like, listen, the way we get through, this is God's plan. The way we get through stress is we worship our way through it. So we'll be tempted to come up with our own plan. God, I hear what you're saying about your giving, but I got this little twist on it that I really, really like. It's pretty good. It's pretty creative, God. It's pretty creative and still gives me control over it. Right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Next lesson. Wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. Now, let me say this about you and me. We're, we're part of this church community, this church family. And I'm, if you want to be part of real life, I'm going to obligate you to something. You need, when your friends ask you for advice, to give grounded, biblical, godly advice. And if you don't know what that is for the situation that they're asking advice for, don't say anything. Because you're representing the God Almighty. Like you, you can't, you don't get to pick whatever sounds good. You don't get to do that. You must give biblically grounded, godly advice. No Oprah Winfrey theology, none of that. Like Oprah Winfrey's not always wrong, but she's not always right either. What I can tell you is that the word of God is never wrong. It's never wrong. Don't be all Dupac Chopra. Is that who, is that who it is? <laughs> Thag called, told me I was Dupac Chopra. I was like, what? What does that even mean? Um, we were having a conversation. It was funny. Um, it made sense at the time. Um, that joke went a lot better in my head because I had the context. Um, but uh, like you don't get to pick whatever, you know, feel, it feels, man, how do you feel about it? What does your heart say? Like the great philosopher Jewel, follow your heart, your intuition. It will lead you in the right direction. Right? No, it won't. You just learned two things. Number one, you learn that your heart will not lead you in the right direction. And number two, you also learn why I'm not on the worship team. So, because um, I was actually trying. <laughs> Listen, you're going to be tempted to come up with your own plan. Wise friends will always, always, always give you God's advice. And I really value that. You know, the farther you climb up in leadership, in life, they have this thing in leadership called the CEO's disease. What that means is it's really hard, the more influence you have in an organization, it's really hard to get good feedback because the people that are giving you feedback will actually, like you hold their job in your hand and so they're scared to be honest. And it's true. And what I've learned over the years is I really, really value people who are willing to say the truth. It's really important to me people that are willing to, to be honest from God's perspective on the impact that I'm having on them, good or bad. Like, I want the honest good. Like, man, I really appreciate you for this. And I want the honest bad. Like, hey, you really sucked at this and it ticked me off. Like, I want that too. Not from a mean place, but because I don't want to be presented that way. And if I'm, if I'm doing that and I don't know, um, 
what happens a lot of times, people say this to me, and here's, here's the genetic thing. I have a big head, like literally, physically, an oversized dome, <laughs> and squinty eyes and a natural scowl. So people are like, um, you, you look mad. You're scary. You're hard, you're hard to approach. Eh, no, you're a coward. I really want, I want that feedback, right? And as part of this community, we've got to be committed to one another in relationship for the good of the kingdom. For the good of the kingdom, I want that for both of us, right? Because wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. Last lesson. God's way is always the right way. Here's the deal. It is good to wrestle with God. It's good. In fact, it seems as if in the Bible that God is waiting for people to really go to the mat with him. It's good to wrestle with God. Isaiah 55, 9 says that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. You know why you wrestle with God? Because God does things that you wouldn't do. You know why? Because his ways aren't your ways. So wrestle with him. That is okay. Just understand this. You're wrong. <laughs> in the end of the wrestling match, with all the love in my heart, you lose. Uh, there's no way to wrestle with God and win. And I've had in my life lots of times where in my personal prayer time, I have pounded my finger in the table at God. David does this in the Psalms a lot. He does. God, how can you do this? How long can this, how can you let this go on? I have said this, lots of things to God in, in the wrestling match. Just understand this. In the end, God's way is always right. And more than that, in the end, God's way is better than anything you can come up with on your own. And so with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Um, speaking of the Lord's way. First thing we're going to do is take those buckets, uh, and what we're going to do, those cards that Thad talked about you filling out, you can uh, get those ready. We're going to take this bucket, send them from the middle out, and at the outside, somebody else will do that. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And so if you're new with us, we take communion every week, and we have an open table. And what that means is anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake but we want you to hold the elements till the end and we'll take them together. And so while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications. Now, what we mean by implications is these are the things that we hope that you can land with. There's probably lots of other things that you're thinking about and that's all good. It's all valid. But these are things that we think are particularly important as we walk out of here today. Okay, so number one, Every decision has consequences, both good and bad. We get to pick which set of consequences we want to live with. Every single decision that you make has good and bad consequences. Thank you, Ray. You get to pick the set of consequences you want to live with. But I want to reiterate this again. Discipline weighs ounces. Regret weighs tons. You pick. You're free to choose. Just understand that your choices have consequences. Now, for a lot of people then, they go, well, fine, then I don't want to make any choices. I just won't make any decisions. Which, number one, is a decision. <laughs> and number two, um, 
There's a lesson that I teach my kids all the time. You can either lead your life done or it will be done to you. And I promise that you will not like the way it happens if it's done to you. And so the second implication is this. Even if you avoid all decisions, you'll still face the pain of life and the pain of poor decisions made around you. Making a sound biblical decision means your painful consequences will at least have a purpose. If you are suffering, you will suffer in this life. If you're suffering for making the right decision, at least your suffering has a point. If you're suffering for no reason at all, like that's most miserable. At least let your suffering have a point. Third implication. Anytime we make a decision, there will be detractors and distractors. It, every decision, there will be somebody that will try to pull you off of it. So like, let's say you were just, I'm going to eat right and exercise. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to do this. And then your spouse wants to go to the movie. And you will bury your face in a bucket of popcorn. You will, not me. This, actually ha this was actually me uh, a couple days ago. We went and saw a movie, my wife and I, and I... I mean, it was good. I haven't had, I haven't had any carbs for a while. <laughs> it was really good. Um, whew, I'm getting flushed thinking about it. <laughs> Me and food have an unhealthy relationship, uh, as you can tell. I'm working my way through it. Me and the Lord are working our way through it. But you will always, it doesn't matter. Like you, if you try to spend, manage your money well, you're going to have people that are like, oh, come on, just spend it on, go, go do this fun thing. Oh, come on, just buy this thing. Oh, come on. It, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You will have detractors and distractors. You will. Surrounding ourselves with people who will help us uphold God's standard in our life is crucial for our success. You have to do that. You have to have people that will hold your, yourself accountable. Last, last implication. The biggest obstacle to sustain proper decision-making is my own discouragement. We must have people around us who will keep us focused and encouraged. And I just want to say this to you. Um, as, as the time goes on, I'm sure the more of this will be unveiled, this, what I'm about to share, but 2017 was without question the most difficult year of my life. Hands down, far and away, hard, like not even a close second. Like I've never personally had to endure stuff like 2017 was. Um, my wife and I, in the midst of all that, like it was, it was a rough go. And I can tell you that, and I love my wife. Don't, don't get me wrong. We're not, we're good. Um, but the fact that I'm able to stand up here right now and talk to you still, be the preacher, isn't because I'm such a moral giant. It's because I had friends around me that refused to let me make stupid choices. Otherwise, I probably would have and would have wrecked everything. Like, here's the deal. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I'm pretty far down this spiritual journey and what I can tell you is you will never hit a point where you don't need people around you to help hold you up when you're weak. Yes. Yes. You will never hit that point. Yes. 
the key to success in, in financial decisions, the key to success in any decision that you make to honor the Lord is in you pulling people around you that will help you stay strong. That's why we do care groups. And you need to be in one. Like we don't do care groups to make you have a, another night of the week where the church controls you. We do that so that you can be set up for success. I love taking communion every week because this is like, what does success look like from God's perspective? Step one, lay down your agenda. Honor the Lord, even with your life. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I just want to say thanks. Thanks, God, for your grace. Thanks for the promise of your blessing, for the clear pathway on how to access it. God, give us the courage to live in your truth. And God, thank you for your faithfulness in meeting us on the other side. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.